0: And welcome to another episode of Deus Life, an aspirational podcast. I am Patrick and here with me as always is Hayden and Hayden. We're going to have an interesting show today. Um, Usually I have some notes, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I have some good notes to kind of riff off of. And, uh, you know, we always get lost in conversation and I never get to any of them, but I usually get to a couple. But I'm going to read you my first one here. Please bring it. This is my first note. (laughs) It says, went out to eat was fun. Whoa. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's uh, I seriously... tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs>
0: Well, things have been closed for a while. I guess there's a novelty factor yeah, right there. Yeah. All right, so, tell, so did
1: you go into a restaurant or did you eat outside of it? What well, did here's you the thing.
0: I went out to eat and <laughs> it, it was would, fun. <laughs> was good or was fun? It was fun. It was okay. fun. Yeah, I went in there. Um, it's that place. I always forget the name of it on Satel Mogu Magu, Megomodu. I don't know. It starts with an M and it has a lot of vowels in it. Oh, yeah. It's the place with the tray. You kind of walk through with the noodles and the chicken and everything <laughs> you kind of do that anyway Mogamogu, shout out to you shout out to them
1: if you want to sponsor the podcast it only
0: takes two trays of food yep and just tell us how to pronounce your uh, name correctly and we'll be good but uh yeah it, it was uh, a uh, lot of fun throw,
1: that's throwing a hitch in my giddy up i feel like i knew the name of that place until oh, 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 you oh. just said uh, major Magu... major don't know um magadomi it was major morigami know. It's Muro
0: Murogami. That's what it is. Okay. It's very similar to that. Okay. Um, anyway, went there with a lovely lady. Shout out to you if you're listening. Um, just a, a good friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and uh, we had a good time. Uh, we ordered food. We sat in a restaurant. We took our masks off and
1: ate. Uh, How was the social distancing observed or not observed? Did you feel like it, people were taking it seriously or sort of like they were over it? It was casually
0: observed. I feel like people are over it. Um, I, f- I feel the same way, to be This might it. be the time where people go, I need to interact with humans. We need to get back to the world. Um, I- I'm going to focus on what I can do to boost my immunity and my health. And that's probably the better approach. Y- you're not going to avoid a virus unless you live a very specific lifestyle, um, very few people are willing to live that lifestyle or even have the luxury to live that yeah, lifestyle.
1: It, it takes, it takes resources to be able to insulate yourself and live a functioning sort of fulfilling life that doesn't yeah. have you as a hermit in your one bedroom apartment in the middle of a city leaving for five minutes a day. Cause you have to.
0: Yeah. I've been boxing in the garage, uh, with Kyle, shout out to my roommate, Kyle. Mm-hmm. And, um, I feel, like, pretty goddamn fit right now. That's great, man. Uh, I've been uh, outside in my underwear on the corner getting all the vitamin D possible.
1: I have been uh, not necessarily staring at the sun, but I'll close my eyes and point my face at the sun Mm. periodically throughout the day. Yeah. Uh, Shout out to Dr. Joel... Uh, for Joel Gould, Joel Gould. Yeah. Uh, you know, I got you, bro. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I didn't want to get his last name <laughs> wrong. Um, Robert
0: Goulet. Shout out
1: to yeah, Dr. Joel Gould for, uh, the line of that episode was that humans are solar powered creatures. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. So let me, so this segues into one of the notes that I took, which is I've always found it interesting, the dynamics of people speaking up or not speaking up at a restaurant. Which means either the service isn't good, the food doesn't come out, their drink isn't mixed properly, there's something wrong. And that rather than speak up, they suffer in silence. And so that's a problem for me.
0: I probably lean more towards suffering in silence, but Why? I don't really suffer.
1: I don't really give a shit. <laughs> okay, that's one thing. If you're able to process it and let it go quickly, but a friend of mine. Like if I order food and it sucks. Do you send it back or what do you like? Do? It's so bad. I can't eat it. Well, where do you draw the line, right? I just
0: leave and go eat somewhere else. You know, and you would you still pay for it? Yeah, sure. I already paid for it. Whatever. Whoa. Okay. I don't go to places where I have to wait for a check very often. That's okay. something I don't like. That's fair. That's <laughs> My life fair. is controlled by waiting for the check. Yeah. I hate it.
1: But, Unreasonable hatred. No, a buddy of mine, I saw him and uh, and he was saying that he had gone out to a restaurant and it no fun was not fun. Hmm. So different from your experience recently. And he said that his drink wasn't mixed very well. It was too tart. It was too bitter. And that when somebody came over to check and say, hey, is everything okay? He said, yeah, sure. You know, everything's fine. But then he spent a lot of time, like a day and a half later, telling me about how shitty that drink was. I oh,
0: know. He's, he's ruminating on it way too much. And
1: so the problem that I have with that, so here's what I want to share with you guys, the listeners, is mm-hmm. that if you get a drink from a restaurant, a bar, anywhere, generally the cost of goods... For any drink that costs less than $15, the cost to the restaurant is between $0.80 and $1.20. So if you feel badly about sending a drink back, first of all, don't, because the cost of goods is insanely low. And secondly, you're paying your hard-earned money, and you have an expectation that things will be a certain level, that there will be a certain standard of care, and it's important to not suffer in silence and be comfortable sticking up for yourself. So how do you do that? Well, if you're at a restaurant, uh, first line of defense is to talk to the waiter. If you sense that there's an issue with the waiter because it's an issue with the service, then you say, hey, could I please speak with the manager? If you are with somebody who is a little bit skittish or doesn't necessarily want to see you having that conversation or they do the, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. I bro- don't say <laughs> yeah, it, <that's> don't, <laughs> don't bring it up. Then what I do in that situation is say, hey, could you please call the manager over? And then the manager comes over and then you say, hi, manager, can you please talk to me over here? And then you stand up from the table, go somewhere else. And explain the situation and so the way you explain the situation is you start by saying hey really enjoy this place having a nice time so far there's one or two things that I don't enjoy and they go oh no I'm so sorry what do we want what what can we do because I was explaining this to my friend from the from the restaurant standpoint that if you leave and you never ever come back they don't know how to isolate for the variable of what caused you to leave they don't know if it was the menu they don't know if it was the price they don't know if it was the ambiance or the service or if it happened to be that they hadn't had time to train this new bartender and they didn't have the chance to address it because you didn't help them as the customer, give them feedback, it leaves them in the lurch in a small way where they're not able to then make positive change in their, in their, in their, in their, hmm. their restaurant. And I told my buddy interesting and i told my buddy that if i was the general manager or the owner of a restaurant i would appreciate immensely getting that feedback so that i could then address it and make sure that it didn't cost me future customers
0: so you see it as um you've made a compelling argument um Maybe you have compelled me to be a little more proactive. The problem is, I really don't care that
1: much. So that's so that's that's different. That's different then, because if you don't care enough to 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 have words about it afterwards, circle back on it and bring it up later. Mm-hmm. But if you're the type to ruminate and it yeah, sticks with me. you and you remember <laughs> and you remember, hey, those motherfuckers only gave me one chopstick, yeah, or whatever it is, or the food came out or the. The French fries were cold and the, the burger wasn't cooked properly or it took them to my water glass never got refiltered. They never brought me that side of ketchup. Whatever it is, speak up for yourself.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, Your, your point is absolutely correct. I probably just wouldn't go back. Right? That's the thing. And, and that, so they're losing out when they could have found some way to correct the issue that's causing me not to go back because I'm not an isolated incident. I, I'm the clientele, right? Exactly. Interesting.
1: So that's one of the dynamics of uh, give. oftentimes give feedback. And if you find yourself in a restaurant or some service establishment and you say, hey, I didn't enjoy this part. Don't make it an attack. Don't say, I think you don't care about your customers because that's an, that makes it an attack. But if you say, hey, this thing happened, you, you make it as facts rather than narrative Yeah. to say. So there's a difference between saying. We got here and then your waiter came up all angry. I think he's in a bad mood and he was complaining about this and that or the, the, the restaurant's really dirty. I mean, you can, you can point those things out, yeah. but you want to point out, hey, when we sat down, it took four minutes before we were even greeted. When the drink came out, it wasn't even cold. I don't know how it was mixed uh those are those are facts and as soon as you make it narrative and you say hey well i think you don't take good care of your customers and this and this and this and this, and this it puts the it puts the recipient of that feedback on the on the defensive
0: so on emotionally say these things and this carries on i've seen you operate a little bit um outside of the restaurant world that carries on into the rest of the, the your life right with Absolutely. your relationships business relationships Absolutely. um kind of giving constructive feedback i suppose um it's a problem i find it's harder and harder these days especially when it comes to arguing like it's why I really fucking love people. Like, I have a real love for people that can unemotionally argue. Um, there's a real freedom to being able to say things that are wrong in the presence of people and not have them in- condemn your entire character for the rest of time for that, right? Like, there should be a freedom to be horribly wrong um, it, just to, to kind of explore ideas, Um there's people like I'll often listen to arguments that I vehemently disagree with, but I'll usually pull like a nugget out of them. You know what I mean? Uh, I wish I had a specific example. I suppose, but you can listen to arguments or, or diatribes from people that you really disagree with, but they'll say something that'll kind of spark an idea. There'll be an,
1: there's often nuggets yeah, in there. And, yeah. if you, and, and, the and pro- maybe
0: they didn't intentionally want to put that idea in your mind, but they'll say something and two degrees related to that. Something is an interesting idea. Um, so I think the, the, and now we're getting to a broader topic, which is just, it's easier than ever to isolate yourself ideologically.
1: Um, That's a scary reality of the yeah. world we live in because echo chambers are a real thing. It's and, real, yeah, and it, and it's terrifying because, oh man, it's it's scared, and scared it's to think
0: about. it makes sense because I, I want to talk about this with like a very qualified guest, maybe an anthropologist or a psychologist or something.
1: We need an anthropologist. If anybody knows, I don't even know what the fucking an anthropologist
0: does. Oh, they study cultures. Study, yeah.
1: Ancient cultures or current cultures? Is either. There a, is either. It you, can, contempor- you can be historical anthropology. I'm, I'm, I'm a contemporary and, yeah. anthropologist. Uh, can you be a, fu- a future state anthropologist? The
0: development of societies. And, and there's other, You know, I guess the existentialist uh, philosopher would be another person that can speak on this. It wouldn't be this. a
1: Deus Life <laughs> podcast episode with Pat bringing up some existentialism. <laughs>
0: Now here's the thing. I, I I've always talked about, sort of like, in the face of inherent meaninglessness and um, scopes you cannot grasp. It's it's on you to make meaning in your life, right? And and in the past, I've tried to do that through a very singular identity, which is myself, right? Becoming better, becoming more successful, maybe becoming wealthier, um, becoming more powerful. Which all of those things feed into, right? Um, becoming more skilled in certain aspects, whether it's martial arts or getting rebounds in basketball, like, uh, it's, it's those kind of things, those kind of goal settings, but these are very like selfish personal goals. Right. And I had no problem with that before. Like one of the things over the past couple of years I really enjoyed is becoming more selfish. Right. And becoming more like, you know, fuck everybody's expectations of me. I'm going to do exactly what the uh, hell I want to do. do me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not going to feel guilty for for not being uh, the ideal person that everybody wants me to be, because everybody has a different idea of what that ideal person is. Right. And ultimately, I don't care about those ideal person perceptions. I care about my perceptions exactly. and ultimately what gives me meaning and allows me to
1: avoid regret.
0: Yeah. And to, to face off against uh, fear and guilt and uh, meaninglessness. Right. And, and And to create a life worth living. Now, more and more, I've moved a little bit away from the selfish pursuits because they've always felt kind of 90% fulfilling. They haven't been 100% fulfilling.
1: Well, to find what what makes something, I have to push back on that because the, sure. the word in this case that's interesting to me is selfish because yeah. I, I feel like selfish, unfortunately, has a negative connotation mm-hmm. where is, would it be possible to say protective of my time. I know I go back on that often. Sure. It's like
0: you're self-centered, right? Because I don't have children. Um, I ultimately, everything in, I do in my life benefits me uh, in some way. It doesn't mean I'm not helping how's, people how's, or how's anything that a ba- like how's that. How's that a bad thing? Well, it, it if would it's, be. If it's helping
1: only you and nobody else. Well, there
0: you go. Um, yeah. It's, but it's, hard, it's
1: hard. I, I, I have trouble. Broad discussion. I have trouble yeah. finding an example of something that you or I would reasonably do that would be protective of myself, that might, that would be either maliciously selfish, unless it was a, a reckless missing something, forgetting something,
0: well, yeah, because my idea of myself is a decent person who helps others, right? So uh, I'm going to let people go in front of me when I'm driving, and I'm going to let older people go ahead of me in the grocery lines and things like that. Does it depend right? on how many
1: items they have in their shopping cart?
0: Maybe. I mean, I'm very strategic at the grocery store. Tell right? me
1: something. Are you a self checkout guy? Or sure. That's why I
0: don't go to Trader Joe's anymore. Oh. Like, embrace the future, Trader Joe's. Okay. Uh, but, at but the, the same produce time,
1: sucks on self checkout because. Y-
0: how do you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't buy produce.
1: Oh, that's that's a solution. All
0: right. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't do any items that you have to like look up, and it goes eh, call the attendant, which yep. is so embarrassing. I boy, hate yeah. when it messes up, and they have to come oh, over. Oh yeah, because
1: then then everybody's looking at you ah, like this idiot doesn't like, even know how to use this
0: basic. Guys, not use a Game Boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but getting back to the other point, it's like um, everybody's life is self-centered, right? Well,
1: Everybody's at the center of their own life too.
0: Yes, yes. And and I think that's sort of the most attractive philosophy. But I remember in the Jasmine episode, I brought up transhumanism a little bit. That's an extreme, but it's sort of going down a different path, which is more... Quick, quickly
1: define transhumanism.
0: It's uh, uh, sort of identifying the unit as beyond the self, right? Give so, an example. What does that mean? So like it's it's identifying the central thing in my life is not just me. It's like, okay, these three people. So my interests and my actions are aligned with the interests of these three people, right? Because that's the central unit in my life rather than the status quo right now, which is everybody's self is the central unit in their life. Now, I'm not arguing for either one because I think that's a little extreme. And actually, I think it's a lot extreme. <laughs> but uh, it is an interesting perspective because I think ultimately what I'm discovering more and more in my case is that it's it's not the selfish pursuits will always be there and they're important and they're necessary Um, and I encourage everybody to do the same within reason but it's the sort of finding a tribe aspect which I think is ultimately the most meaningful thing the human animal can do right and that I understand why echo chambers exist I understand all of this stuff it makes a lot of sense and like to be honest, if it really makes your life enjoyable and you're not just kind of in this constant fight or flight state, which I think a lot of the social media echo chambers can do to you is constantly pump the adrenaline and oh, there's, yeah. there's you, always you, somebody to defend or somebody to shit on. Something and, and, to get uh, ru- know, something yeah. to
1: get riled up about. Yeah. Spike an emotional reaction.
0: Like I've, I've really tried the best I can to avoid that world, to avoid the life of refreshing feeds and, and and like really creating clear rules about what social media is in my life. The, right?
1: the next time anybody goes on to Facebook. Facebook or Instagram, especially Facebook, I find this fascinating. The it's interesting. The more time you spend away from Facebook, the less legitimate notifications you'll get. Hmm. And so, what's interesting to me is that yeah, you're right. It'll, 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 Some it'll,
0: guy you don't know is going live. It'll be oh yeah,
1: <laughs> this person that you know from freshman year college posted a photo. Mm. Um, the versus, I mean, you've got people you follow, somebody tagged you in a photo, you get a notification for that. But it's interesting to me, the psychology behind the notification. And I'm sure that there's millions and millions of dollars of research that have gone into yes. how the notifications affect your time on platform. Because one of the things I notice is that if I go on Facebook and I spend I don't know, 15 minutes on Facebook, scrolling through a bunch of bullshit, I really don't care about. And then I take five minutes and then I do the and then I go, oh, well, I wonder what's going on on Facebook. I'm surprised at how often there is a patty cake bullshit notification when I go back for the quick second round. And I think that there must be. And I note and I can sense it within myself. I feel like I can feel the serotonin or dopamine or whatever neuro, neurochemical. It's starting to
0: change it, your reward will, system. It, yeah.
1: And I get the little ding, ding, ding. It's mm-hmm. like a slot machine. It's a slot machine. Yeah. So I get that. I have to thro- I have to read something and throw sure, a sure. very very sincere shout out um, to this person. Some of you guys have heard of um, Elon Musk. He tweeted, "Who's that?" He tweeted yesterday and he said, "This will probably get me into trouble, but I feel I have to say it. Selling weed literally went from major felony to essential business. Open during the pandemic in much of America, and yet many are still in prison. Doesn't make sense. Isn't right."
0: I don't find that controversial. <laughs>
1: I don't find it controversial. I find it. Is anybody going to find that controversial? Nobody's going to. A,
0: a small minority.
1: I didn't say it was controversial, um, but I think it's remarkable that he's shown that he's shining that light on it because I think he's 100% right. There are people serving five, 10, 20 year prison sentences in the United States right now yeah. for possessions of, in the grand scheme of things, petty amounts of marijuana.
0: It is really awful. And you that was can- that dichotomy in the cannabis industry that I talked about previously between the people that touched the plant and took risk and the people that were kind of piggybacking off of them and having these non touch the plant businesses. And, and they had this luxury of being totally open and come to my award show and all this stuff. And let's put your name in lights. And then mm-hmm. the people that touched the plant were sort of like, yo, Please be careful. Yeah, <laughs> like, don't don't be putting our name out there. Yeah, don't go yeah. don't go live here. What yeah, are you doing? Yeah, all this stuff, you know, pictures of the shops. Mm-hmm. It, it's like that. That was such an underlying culture war, I
1: think. Yeah, uh, and, what's, and what's and it extends to this realm and too. What's terrifying is that we have, for instance, in California, you can possess what is it? I think you can go into a into a, into a dispensary as a recreational consumer and mm-hmm. buy up to an ounce, I believe. Yeah, if you have a lot of disposable income, you can uh, buy an o- <laughs> you can buy an ounce of marijuana, which is a fucking lot of marijuana that will last you a long time. And if you had even a third of that same amount in another state, it's a felony. Yeah, minimum yeah. sentence, and it's a joke. And so we've got people that are costing forty to sixty or seventy thousand dollars per year to keep incarcerated. And I mean, if we're speaking about causes of mass incarceration and how the United States is the number one per capita, uh, I mean, we have the most people incarcerated per capita of any country which yeah. is wild. It's,
0: well, the incentive structure is completely off. Like a lot of those are private prisons that are incentivized. And for missed, profit. And when they hit certain prisoner amounts, they get well, more and subsidies. Not and, yeah.
1: not only that, there are deals between, and I need to research this more. If there's somebody out yeah. there who's an expert on this, we would love to have you on the show. The prison I've, industrial complex. I have, yeah. so, I have so many more questions about this because I, I've heard that there's examples where A county or a jurisdiction, a legal jurisdiction, will part will will have a deal with a either a for-profit prison or just a private prison. Mm -hmm. I guess all private prisons are likely for-profit unless you have a five hundred one (laughs) c three non a charity prison. Charity
0: prison. If you find one, let us know.
1: (laughs) Charity prison. (laughs) Let's see who donates to that. What a fucking term. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So. and I've heard that they have deals that require, that mandate that they maintain a particular sort of. You have to
0: maintain a certain occup- population o- occupancy yeah, yeah, level, yeah.
1: and yeah. so that might mean, which is
0: perhaps the most backwards incentive. Which is ever the created. most fucked up thing ever to it's say? Insanity. Oh yeah, yeah,
1: oh yeah, my bad. We got we got to keep the numbers. We got to keep them over seventy percent occupied. Otherwise, yeah. we trigger this. They penalty. lose subsidies and stuff. Yeah, they, yeah. they lose and subsidies. Colleges. They lose funding. But I mean. Shouldn't the goal of every police system be to not have to arrest anybody you would
0: think so but in fact it's quite the opposite but in at this sa- place well it's yeah.
1: it's difficult because then you get into you it unpacks and you get into a world where you're protecting certain interest groups and there might be a, I don't, I don't I don't I don't know enough about this but I imagine that if there's a group of people there's a I wouldn't be surprised if there's a fairly robust union on behalf of correctional officers yeah yeah and I wouldn't be surprised if there's a fairly strong group that's that's represented but that represents the interests of for-profit prisons. I wouldn't be surprised if they're wildly fucking profitable. Just like I, just I like sanitation th- work, like the the garbage companies, waste management, there's a waste management golf open?
0: Yeah. And <laughs> there's a broader issue too. It's like um
1: shout out to the wasted management open. It's in Arizona once a year. I, I think when you, when you understand
0: when you understand how the United States works very broadly that there's sort of this really divided working class that's divided along political voting lines. So they're not united despite the fact that they make up the vast majority of the voting population. Right. Um, like wealthy elites don't vote people into power. They don't have, they they can lobby and fund and support and, and, and do it that way. Um, but, the only way to win an election is to divide the working class. Right. And that's where a lot of these political discussions come from. Um,
1: I remember hearing somebody say one time that uh, America has a class problem, but it's disguised mm -hmm. as a race problem.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, a lot of the identity politics stuff is is very intentional, in my opinion, Um, because in order to win an election, you have to grab the portion of the working class that you have and and, and, solidify your,
1: your tribe of followers. right? Yeah.
0: And I think one other thing, this is just a thought I just had, but like a lot of people, when you enter the political system, I think it's very easy to be corrupted. And when I say corrupted, I mean when you're introduced to how the world works, which is you have a very tiny population of people that control a vast majority and a growing majority of the wealth and power, and then you have everybody else, it's very easy to see an opportunity to become one of those few and take it, right? Like, it's, it's I think it's a very difficult choice to make, and it's a very difficult thing to avoid when you engage in the political system, Right.
1: It's, it's very difficult because we're, we're still at our core biologically. We're beings that are used to existing in a world where we're in a tribe of 100 to yeah. 150 people. And it's, so it's still remarkably difficult for us as individuals to have the empathy and the ability to think and feel and plan and fight on behalf of people that we've never seen, we've never met, we don't know. We know they're out there. We might mm-hmm. know that for sure. But it's difficult as human beings. We have trouble prioritizing the interests of the many over the interests of, I mean, people. I mean, yeah. you're hardwired to look out for yourself. And I remember somebody, somebody saying when the uh, when the pandemic started that uh, a lot of the stimulus money that was coming out was working its way through Congress and stuff along those lines. That they were concerned that it wasn't going to fairly and accurately represent the needs of the working class person. No way. And somebody and somebody said, and they said the the majority of people in Congress or elected officials at the highest levels of government that it's scary because they they have different concerns and they have different fears yeah. potentially than the waiter who's working paycheck to paycheck or the bartender or the small business owner because they might be worried about in I don't know, I, I don't want to generalize, but it's it's difficult to know or have faith that, they're looking that anybody is looking out for me. And so that's, I mean, going back to self protecting. Yourself. Yeah.
0: This is a broader discussion I wanted to have. We might not have the time on this episode. Um, we can
1: add it to your notes after fun restaurant.
0: I'll quickly say, <laughs> I'll quickly say, so there's uh, Sam Harris, who's one of my guys that I love. Um,
1: shout out to Sam Harris and his podcast. Yeah,
0: he's sort of like, uh, I think a lot of the way people feel about Joe Rogan, which I love Joe Rogan too. Like I, yeah. I get a lot of benefit from the show, but, um, Sam Harris is my Joe Rogan. Like oh, he's the one I always tune into. Okay. It's it's a little it's a little higher level and the conversations are a lot more focused. Okay. Um, which is not a good thing or a bad thing. It's, it's just, just a thing. thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. Shit. Jinx. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Finishing each other's anyway. Sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, he, he had a quote in an article from a while back. I mean, this must be maybe over a decade ago. Um, but this is when he was writing about growing wealth inequality, which I think is the core issue at the center of this country and, and most of the world because there's so many people, um, mm-hmm. and it's just been snowballing out of control. Um, Sam Harris had a quote, uh, kind of like exaggeratedly saying this, but you know, uh, on the road to wealth inequality and, and the continuing gap is, would you want to live in a country that crowns its first trillionaire? Whilst at the same time having thirty percent unemployment. Ooh, and thanks to coronavirus, timing oddly, we're about to do Oddly pressure
1: oddly prescient, yeah. <laughs> like he
0: wrote that as a totally exaggerated, ridiculous example of where this could go. Yet here we
1: are Ten years with later cray cray yeah. unemployment.
0: Exactly. So uh, and I think the unemployment numbers are so like misleading to um, there's this whole generation of people that don't really count because they just graduated college, and it's just or you know, don't count the people who've given up. And uh, yeah,
1: those, those numbers, yeah. Are, those numbers are fucked, um, unfortunately, yeah. and it, it's tough. The the markers that we look at uh I, I would need to know if there's a an economist or if there's an economist out there that wants to come on the show we'd, yeah we'd, we'd and lo- and lo- i want to say this you.
0: because uh, i'm going to bring up something that is a, a three-hour long discussion but i want to bring it up to say something a really interesting point that i actually heard on his show from another guest that he had which was the idea of america as a meritocracy is itself damaging to it existing as a meritocracy and that it's not necessarily the problem of the rich kid who inherits the things i mean that's a problem, right? But generally, the issue, and this is generally speaking, I forget like outliers, I don't yeah, care forget, about anecdotes. Forget your anecdotes. I don't Generally care. speaking. Don't care about the trust fund kid It doesn't work. He doesn't count here. Um, generally speaking, the advantage is not the wealth inheritance. The advantage is that merit, skill, and ability is not innate. Like, and if it is, it's incredibly rare. Like... A great uh, business person or a great hedge fund manager is not born, they're created. And the advantage of the upper class and a meritocracy is that they can give their children that training. Mm -hmm. So it's not that the rich kid doesn't work, isn't lazy or anything like that. It's not that stereotype.
1: They have access to the best training. In
0: fact, they actually have the (laughs) the luxury of working. This is something that, that was really interesting to me is that the the wealthiest people in this country have never worked more. It's it's in fact the opposite of what it used to be, which is that they'd sit around and accumulate wealth. Now they're actively doing things like more hours than anybody. Right. And that's because of a variety of factors, right? Like the poorest people, the harder thing is finding work. Right. Um, but yeah, I found that interesting. It's that they have access to training and that the parents uh, in this class of people are highly invested in their children, sending them to the best schools, giving them the best training, giving them all the exposure to the world and, and how it works and how to uh, accumulate and, and generate and maintain wealth. Um, was, that, that's the granting of merit is, is sort of the illusion there.
1: I was talking to somebody yesterday who said that uh, the preschool that his kids go to, mm-hmm. it's a half day school. So from night, your kids are there from like 9 a.m. until noon, like four days a week or something like that. $1,250 a month. Nice. And I was, I was blown away because you look at that and then you compare it to, I mean, if you ever want to, if you ever want to feel a little bit broken up about the world, type in the, the tuition cost of the elite Manhattan private schools. Yeah, and, and when it's they're, forty thousand yeah. dollars a year, and you get like people start planning for where they what school their kids are going to go to once at conception basically.
0: Yeah, and it's it's unfortunately the case that the people without the means end up with less knowledge and less skills, right? And and
1: and it's and well, it's tough because when you have a, a the notion that and that's a controversial thing to say. I actually think. I, yeah, 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 I don't disagree. Um, I think that. By virtue of having, I mean, it's tough because when you say that it's a meritocracy, that assumes that everybody starts on a level playing field and that they have access to the same I, education, I the people, same teachers, the same training. Yeah, they
0: buy into this myth that, you know, people are born and they have skills that they're going to naturally develop and thus the skilled people rise painter. to the I top. I want to be a painter or a carpenter, uh, but no you got to have where they start. But yeah, it's it's sort of like, put the exceptions aside, merit is created. Mm -hmm. So people that have access and have people that are highly invested in them developing merit, um, whatever it may be in that society, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. it kind of depends on what skills are valued in that society and that changes over time, but they're invested in giving those people those skills. right?
1: Yeah. And real quickly to touch on, there's a famous story from uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book outliers where he looks at and analyzes what it is that separates high achievers from not high achievers. And one of the really, really interesting things that he looked at was the, He looked at the Canadian Youth National Hockey Team or something like that. I remember this. It was the birth year. And he found the month, by the birth month, that something like 80 or 85% of the kids on this 17- to 20-year-old Canadian national national hockey team were born in January, February, or March.
0: And so I think what you and can draw from that is that astrology is real.
1: Exactly. So Zoroastra. Um, so, and what he found from that wasn't necessarily that the kids born in January, February, <coughs> or March were any better, but it was that by the time they were trying out for the initial travel league teams, Yes. When they were five, six, seven years old, that when by the time that that happened, they might have been, 12% older, 15% older than the Critical other kids. months
0: of development. Born in, and born
1: in November, December, they're bigger. And so that doesn't necessarily mean by the time they're 17 or 20, they're bigger or better, but it means that they get the fast track to get access to the best training yeah. that puts them on a trajectory. They get
0: prioritized.
1: They get yeah. prioritized. And it's something, and it's wild that it could be something as arbitrary as when you're born. But then, I mean, there are people now strategizing when they're going to conceive so that they can have kids at a strategic time of the year because they want their kid to be the oldest kid in the grade the youngest kid in the grade they want maximum tax write-off minimum tax write-off I know people oftentimes get excited when they have when they give birth in December because you get a full dependent write-off on your taxes for the entire <laughs> year so yeah. anyway that's a whole conversation that we can have for another day we'll jump
0: into that another time I mean I'll just close it by saying this that this is the very reason why if somebody becomes wealthy or successful in this country, I don't necessarily respect them or want to be them. I need to know how they did it. How, right? you,
1: how you make your money is more important to me than that. You made your money. Yeah, yeah. And it's difficult. I mean, I've heard, I mean, if you make your money sitting at the top of a multi-level marketing pyramid scheme, mm-hmm. I'm going to have a lot less respect for you than if you fought tooth and nail, saved money, opened your own restaurant. Cause you love serving people this amazing meal. And then you worked your ass off and then you grow it to a second location. That to me is more admirable. And that's something that's garners more respect for me. So yeah. the first thing I, I mean, I have, I, whenever I meet somebody, I, ha, I that's what I go into. I, I, and that's part of what we do as human beings too, is we're sizing up, Hey, who is this person? What have they done? What are their skills? What are they actually about? Are they a fucking poser or, or not? Or
0: it's like, can they help me? And are there ideas I can steal from them?
1: Well, I, I mean, are, can we share? Can we share information? And what's interesting? Yeah. To are me, they part of my tribe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's interesting to me is I remember this uh, a buddy of mine saying, uh, I was talking about. I mean, it, it can be frustrating to see somebody get the benefits of somebody else's labor. So that means their grand yeah. grandpa dies, and then they get left uh, uh, ten years worth of salary or something like that, like more money than more money than you could earn in a long time. And uh, and it was interesting that the difference between saying you didn't earn the money. Because you can make an argument that I earned it. I was really nice to my grandpa. We went on Mm -hmm. these fishing trips, whatever it is. But the more important thing to me is how you created the money. Mm -hmm. Because in order to create money, you have to have the skills and abilities and courage. And it unpacks to so many other things to be able to create money, create and capture resources, that that's what I want to find out. Because that's how I measure whether or not this person has skills, abilities, insights, outlook on the world, whatever it is that I can then get information from and we can share mm-hmm. and we can build each other up. But if, I mean, iron sharpens iron, you got to make sure the person you're talking to is legit too. So spiel ended. Thanks for yeah. coming. Thanks for coming to my Ted talk. Yeah. Yeah. I th-
0: I think we should, we should conclude this episode because I'm about to go down another path and we should do that on another episode. We, we, yeah. 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 I guess just to give people a little, Oh, no, 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 (laughs) no, 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 no.
1: So we'd like to thank our sponsors for this, one of whom is uh, Challenger Men's Care. Challenger Men's Care is a line of personal care products, shampoo, conditioner, body wash. I am the founder and CEO of that business and uh, make premium products. Uh, I hate tooting my own horn on this, but it's important to spread the word and let you know that shit. God damn it. It's important to let you guys know that there are fantastic, high value personal care products out there because a lot of people don't know what they use personal care wise. I'm blown away by the number of guys that I ask, hey, what product do you use in your hair? And the response is either the response is either. Oh, I don't know. Or it's something that my insert family member, friend, girlfriend, sister, mom got it for me. And now I just buy it. It's something my barber, but they don't know the name. And so. Challenger's mission is to help you have a better life, one good personal care day at a time, to help you optimize your performance, to help you feel more confident, to be more presentable, so that other other people perceive you better, and to do it in a high-value way with premium products that don't break the bank, so they're high-value. So if you want to find out more information, you can go to ChallengerCare.com, or you can search Challenger Hair Care or Challenger Men's Products on Amazon. And if you uh, pick one up, please go to deuslifepod.com. Drop us a message and uh, let us know that this sponsorship is working because that's really helpful. And shout out to our Patreon supporters. And please... If you do uh, listen to the show and you enjoy it, please uh, leave us a review on Amazon, on on Apple. On Apple. Apple Apple Podcast.
0: uh, Help us do what we're doing here, which is to find a tribe of like-minded people and uh, advance together.
1: Absolutely. So that's a good way to wrap it.
0: Exactly. Well, this has been Deus Life, an aspirational podcast, and we'll see you all next time. Peace.